Hello, 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 Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Here we are, Brain. One week to go in the season. But before we get to the season finale... The Dolphins had the big game, the big game against the Cincinnati Bengals, an opportunity to maintain or at least stay alive in the search for the number one draft pick. And for most of the game, it looked like there was just no way that that was going to happen, that the Dolphins were going to end up winning the game and winning it going away to the fact that the Dolphins had a 35-12 to 12 lead with 11 minutes and 12 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then the Cincinnati Bengals climbed all the way back in, scored a touchdown with 6-11 left on the clock to make it 35-19, scored another touchdown with ni- with 29 seconds left, and converted the two-point conversion to make it 35-27. And then as time expired, Andy Dalton found Tyler Eifert from 25 yards out for a touchdown, ran in a two-point conversion, and the Cincinnati Bengals, they recovered an onside kick in there as well. The Cincinnati Bengals came all the way back and tied the game at 35, forcing it to go to overtime. And you thought, well, wait a minute. Maybe the Dolphins might actually find a way to blow this game. In the end, they go back and forth a few times in overtime before... Jason Sanders ends up hitting a 37-yard field goal as time expires in overtime to give the Dolphins a 38-35 victory. They improve on the season to 4-11, fall to 5th in the 2020 draft order. The Cincinnati Bengals secure the number one pick and the draft, and probably in all likelihood also secure that pick of Joe Burrow to be their next franchise quarterback. And uh, it's it ends up being a happy mood at Hard Rock Stadium as the Dolphins get the win to improve to four and eleven on the season, and the Dolphins drop to fifth, as I mentioned in the draft order. Now, this was something that a lot of people were upset about at the time, and I, I'm uh, admittedly myself included. Uh, I think that if you had told me at the beginning of this season. Knowing what the Dolphins needed to, you know, were looking to do in order to get their, that number one pick. If you had told me that the Dolphins would have ended up picking fifth, I probably would have been very disappointed with that. However, I think when you look at how this season played out, how this season started, and the improvement that the team showed down the stretch, and combine that with the fact that because of the injury to Tua Tagovailoa, that the Dolphins drafting fifth may still very well have a shot at Tua in that spot. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that bad of a situation. And uh, probably the reason that I most of all feel that way is that it's hard not to be impressed with the job that this coaching staff has done getting these kinds of performances out of the players on this team. This is a this team is bereft of talent. What we had Calvin Munson and Tay Harris on the field on Sunday to defeat the Bengals and this team managed to get a win and they've now won four games this season and really four of the last eight coming down the stretch. So I think it's it says a lot for the coaching staff. Now that goes without saying that this team blew a 23-point lead in the fourth quarter, which is certainly a big negative. But I think overall, get escaping the sort of narrow view of just this one game and taking a look at the big picture, I think you, and I know that you feel hesitant to completely dive in on this because you have seen it before and you you feel like we've said this about Tony Sperano. We said it after the first year of Adam Gase that it feels like we finally got something good here. But 
we've got coaches that are coming in with a pedigree and they have done an excellent job of building a a winning culture and getting these players who are relatively talent free to fight hard and to go out there and, you know, manage to win football games. And it's one of those things that you hear in sports. One of those cliches that you hear a lot is that (coughs) any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. And that's one of those things that I think is true in theory, but Brian Flores and his coaching staff have proven with this team that anything is possible. Now, granted, they haven't beaten big heavy hitters um as it stands right now they it looks like they've beaten one team that may make the playoffs and it's literally a team that could make the playoffs with a 500 record depending on how things go in week 17 for the Philadelphia Eagles but winning NFL games is hard um especially winning a game on the road as they did in Indianapolis which is not an easy place to win even though the team was dealing with some injuries at the time so i think Overall, it's not a bad situation, and you're happy to see the way that the Dolphins are sort of building the the quote-unquote culture. I don't know that I love that word a lot, but it seems like something good is happening here, and this is a good first step. And with all that being said, this team is 4-11, and Whatever happens in the last week of the season notwithstanding, I feel that, all things being considered, this team is moving into the 2020 offseason in a better place than they were coming in to the 2019 season. At least that is my feeling. So, Brain, talk a little bit about how you feel coming out of this game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, it was almost... It was almost a perfect scenario. It was for for a second there. I mean, we blew the lead. Cincinnati miraculously comes back and forces overtime. At the same time, the Giants and Redskins are in overtime. And you're thinking, man, the stars are all aligning. They're going to tie. We're going to lose this thing. And we're going to put ourselves into a position where we could end up after all of this looking at the number one pick and then it all came crashing down. Look, the Giants beat the Redskins and if the if that game was not going to end in a tie, that's the result that you wanted. But the big thing that happened was that the Dolphins beat the Bengals. And look, I kind of gave up on this tank or bust if we, you know, if we don't get the number one pick, it's not a disaster. You know, I, I gave up on the whole it's you either have the number one pick or it's a disaster of a season. I gave up on that thought a while ago. Really, when we when we won the game against the Eagles, you know, I was pretty resigned to the fact that the odds are pretty slim that we're going to end up with the number one pick. So let's just kind of take it for what it is and and see how how this thing finishes out and take the positives with the negatives. And there are positives. Uh, the way that this team has has responded to the coaching, the the way that they play disciplined football and still find ways to move the ball and put points on the board in spite of, you know, countless injuries, having the worst offensive line that I've ever seen, having, uh, you know, lost, you know, all of your running backs, and, and having Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, yeah, he, he's a nice quarterback, but he's nothing special. Having, having a journeyman quarterback and you're still finding ways to move the ball. And then with all of the injuries that they've seen on the defensive side of the ball, it, they've been the walking wounded. This team has played an NFL record 82 guys this season. We still have a game left. They have played 82 guys for at least one snap, more than any team in NFL history. And that goes to the point of, one, having a bunch of guys that, you know, aren't really all that great. They, you know, aren't good enough to play every down. But more than anything else, injuries. The Dolphins came into this game having 18 guys on on IR, uh, which was the second most of any team in the league 
coming into this one. But 82 guys have played at least one snap. And despite having new guys seemingly every week getting playing time, the team has still found ways to win the game. And when you consider that they started the season, what, 0-7? And now we're sitting here and they're 4-11? and They've been essentially a 500 team for the last two months of the season. And that's incredible considering the lack of talent that they've had and the number of injuries that they've had. Again, I'm not going to go and say that we've found ourselves the next great head coach, but Brian Flores and his staff have done a great job this season and they deserve to be commended for it. And I think more so than anything, even, even more so than just the bottom line that they've won four games with with these guys on their roster, uh, I think it's the the improvements that we've seen over the course of the season by specific players and improvements by players that we just thought, you know, we were going to give up on. And nobody, that, that applies to nobody more than Devontae Parker, who had another big game, did most of his damage in the first half in this game, but has eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark and looks to be a bona fide number one receiver. And this was a guy that, as Dolphin fans, we were ready to give up on after last season. And he looks like, I mean, he looks like a top 10 receiver in this league. And the numbers that he's put up since Preston Williams got hurt, uh, essentially, uh, it's been it's been seven games, but one of those games he got er- he got hurt very early in the game, the game against the Jets, and so in six games since then, he has something like thirty four receptions for like five hundred thirty something yards, or actually it's more than that. It's 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 over a hundred yards a game. It's it's something like six hundred thirty yards or something like that. If you extrapolate it out to a 16-game season, what he has done over his last six full games, to, again, taking out the game that he was hurt very early against the Jets, he has been on a pace to rack up 90 catches for over for nearly 1,700 yards and 13 touchdowns. That would make him the leading receiver in the National Football League arguably the best receiver in the National Football League. That is how he's been playing over the last seven weeks. And this is, again, a guy that we as Dolphin fans were ready to give up on coming out of next season. And he has responded to this coaching staff and just get seems like he's getting better every single week. And the way that this team has just rallied around Ryan Fitzpatrick to play uh, inspired football all season long, in spite of the fact that they've been one of the worst teams in the league all season long. It is a testament to the guys in that locker room. It is a testament to the coaching staff. And it is something to be excited about because if they can keep that energy going into next season, and this becomes the foundation, and this becomes the norm, and not just a one-year thing where they have this kind of magical chemistry. If they can keep this sort of chemistry and energy going into next year and the year after, and this just becomes the Dolphins' way, the same way that they have the Patriot way in New England, when there's actually talent on this roster, look out, because we have the foundation of being a contending team. So it's exciting. You don't want to get ahead of yourselves because again, we've seen it before and you've seen it in these one year sample sizes where a team just has a, has a certain chemistry and a certain energy and things just kind of fall right for them. And then the next year, it's just not the same because every team is a little bit different. So you don't want to get ahead of yourselves, but it's exciting to think about. It really is exciting to think about. And so what we're going to do right now is get into the good, the bad, and the ugly from this game versus the Bengals. And we'll 
get to the end of the show, take a couple of Twitter questions that we have. But before we do that, we hope that all of you will head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show. And in addition to subscribing to the show, we hope that you will leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. It really does a lot to help people find the show. So we appreciate you taking a moment to do all of that. And of course, the reminder to visit DolphinsTalk.com every single day. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. And make sure that you're following us on Twitter. Aaron is at Aaron the Brain. I am at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. Give us a follow and join in the conversation. And of course, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins, where every episode of the show is posted as well. Let's get into this, Brain. If we're talking about the good in this game for Miami, for the Miami Dolphins, the place that you have to start is with Ryan Fitzpatrick. This was the kind of game that I think all of us knew we were capable of seeing from Ryan Fitzpatrick when this team signed him. And it was going to, it was in a multiple ways. You thought, well, this is going to be a, t- a guy that is a gunslinger. That's going to be fun to watch. He's going to make the team fun to watch. And then, you know, we sort of approached it from the perspective of he might end up playing so well that he causes us to win more games than we wanted to. That turned out to be fairly prescient because I think that's probably the case. I don't know that the Dolphins end up winning this game with Josh Rosen at quarterback. Maybe they do. But regardless, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes 31 of 52 for 419 yards, throws four touchdowns, one interception for a QB rating of 103 in this game. Not only was it just the stats, but and this is something that he's shown all year long, that this guy is a natural leader. And I think it was Joe Shad as the Dolphins beat writer who wrote a column on Monday that was all about how Ryan Fitzpatrick is the perfect guy to be a mentor for whoever the Dolphins quarterback of the future is. Whether that's Josh Rosen, it's probably not, or more likely, whether it's somebody that the Dolphins draft, maybe that's, maybe that's Tua Tungavailoa, maybe it's Jordan Love, maybe it's Justin Herbert, whoever it is, whoever that new Dolphins quarterback is going to be, it's hard to imagine <coughs> um, that quarterback having a better mentor than Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I think was absolutely spectacular in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He truly is the perfect guy to be the leader for this football team, and he's the perfect guy to establish the foundation for what we're trying to build. And that's that's where you kind of got to take the good with the bad because there are going to be people who say, you know, kind of what we said at the beginning of the year, which is, you know, was it worth it to have Ryan Fitzpatrick because you've probably won more games, at least two more games than you would have won with Josh Rosen with Josh Rosen as quarterback and that is probably enough to cost you the number 1 pick and you'd probably have the number 1 pick if you you know let's say you you didn't sign a quarterback and you just went out there with Luke Falk at quarterback and you had Luke Falk and Josh Rosen as your two quarterbacks this year you probably would have ended up winning one or two games if that and you'd end up with the number one pick in the draft and you'd have yourself in position to draft Joe Burrow and then we'd be sitting pretty uh, to build. But what you wouldn't have at that point is you wouldn't, you probably would not have a locker room of players that are built, uh, you know, that are bought in to what this coaching staff is selling. You probably... I mean, you, you almost certainly would not have the season that you've had out of Devontae Parker. And so you wouldn't necessarily, ha- ne- necessarily feel comfortable with what you've got at receiver. Whereas we're going into next year and you've got to feel like with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, at least, you've got two really good receivers to build around with that receiving core. And we'll get into Albert Wilson because he had another nice game in the last two weeks. He started to look like the Albert Wilson that we saw the first half of last year before he got hurt. And so that begs the question of whether or not, you know, Albert Wilson will be back next year because it seemed like a foregone conclusion just a few weeks ago that he would not be, but 
you might be looking at a receiving core next year of Devontae Parker, uh, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, and Jakeem Grant, which, yes, that's been the receiving core, and Alan Hearns, uh, which, yes, was the receiving core coming into this year. But you go in and you might feel a lot better about that receiving core going into next year, especially having a year of of work in this offense together underneath Chad O'Shea and this, this offense, uh, it, it actually looks like it looks pretty good. If you could end up fixing that offensive line and plugging in a starting running back, all of a sudden that looks like the makings of a pretty good offense. I mean, if you can somehow, you could basically just focus your off season on fixing this offensive line. I think the difference in, in offense, it's going to be like night and day because you're going to have essentially the same guys with the same chemistry that's already been built up just with, with a good offensive line and potentially a good running game and time for the quarterback to throw. You could be looking at uh, an upper half of the league offense next year with that receiving core. And I don't think that you have that if you're starting Josh Rosen, who at this point, I don't think Josh, I mean, yes, we haven't seen him in a couple of months, so we don't really know what kind of development he's made as the backup quarterback. And so there's certainly the possibility that Josh Rosen has gotten better by, you know, being in the, in the classroom, being behind, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick for, for all of this year. But at this point, you can't say with very much confidence that Josh Rosen is going to be the quarterback of the future for this team. I'd say it looks more likely that he's going to end up being cut next year. So if, if Josh Rosen was just thrown out there, uh, yeah, we might have the number one pick, but I think the the team as a whole would not be an, in as good a position moving forward. You wouldn't have necessarily gotten the best evaluations on guys like Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker and Preston Williams and things like that. And so you might end up in a, causing more holes than you really needed to if if that was the case. So... I'd rather have the number, I, you know, I'd love to have the number one pick, but at the end of the day, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has served his purpose and the way that he's gotten this team to play inspired football. If, if he can, if, if that foundation can be laid and it can be something that we build upon and it's not just a one year thing, ultimately we'll be looking back five, six years from now and saying, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick really helped build this thing. You know, we could be, we could be a contending team, you know, for a decade plus, And we could look back and say, you know, who really helped build this thing and get it going in the right direction? Ryan Fitzpatrick. He certainly may have opened the door to whatever the next chapter is for the Miami Dolphins. This was a season that was always going to be about evaluating the talent that we had. We said, treat it like an extended preseason for 2020. And his play has enabled the Miami Dolphins to do that. Let's talk about some other good aspects of the game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think you have to prop out Miles Gaskin, who had himself a nice game, carrying the ball 16 times for 55 yards and a touchdown. It was, it was good to see Gaskin sort of take that position and say, this is going to be mine for the rest of the season. And I think he has, he has made a case that he is going to be in the thick of whatever the competition is at that position going into 2020. I think the Dolphins are certainly going to seek to upgrade at that position. They'll probably bring in some veteran talent, but having Gaskin make that perform the way he did in this game, I think, uh, sets a positive tone going forward for that position. Additionally, I think you've got to continue to prop out Devontae Parker, five receptions, 111 yards. Mike Gesicki, six receptions for 82 yards. Albert Wilson really starting to come back and really looking like 
Albert Wilson did before the injury last year. Seven receptions, 79 yards, showing the speed, showing the agility. And as you've sort of alluded to here a couple times, Brain, things are setting up for the Dolphins to be in pretty good shape at wide receiver. They may be looking to add one or two other guys at most, but when you look at the Dolphins receiving core with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, uh, Preston, yeah, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, potentially Jakeem Grant, Alan Hearns, the Dolphins are pretty okay at wide receiver. And if, if Devontae Parker and Preston Williams take the next step forward next year, the Dolphins are looking at having a very dangerous wide receiving course. So that's another really good thing. Another good thing? How about Christian Wilkins catching a touchdown pass out of the end zone? Apparently that play has been something the Dolphins have been working on all season long since training camp with uh, pre- with Christian Wilkins lining up in the backfield. He catches the touchdown pass and the, the one-yard touchdown pass for the Dolphins to uh, – take the lead early in that game. That was kind of fun to see. Christian Wilkins continues to be a fun character on this team and somebody that I, I look forward to watching play in a Dolphins uniform for some time. And, and finally, the last sort of good thing that I want to mention in this game was, how about this no-name Dolphins defense? Now, the word came out Uh, before the game that Joe Mixon was apparently battling some sort of stomach bug, so he might not have been at 100%. But coming into this game, we were both feeling pretty confident that Cincinnati was going to come in and run the ball down the Dolphins' throat and have their way with us that way. And at the end of the day, they ran the ball 25 times for 59 yards, an average of just 2.4 yards per carry. Their longest run of the day was 9 yards. This Dolphins defense (coughs) did a great job shutting down the running game of the Cincinnati Bengals. And that is in no small part uh, an enormous factor in the Dolphins getting the win this Sunday. So those are those are the things that I wanted to talk about that I th- thought were the good in this game. Brain, is there anything that you wanted to add or anything else that you wanted to mention as far as good performances for your Miami Dolphins? Uh, just some standout players. Uh, one of them, Zach Seiler, uh, the defensive lineman that uh, we signed off of waivers from Baltimore just a few weeks ago. Uh, just had a dominant performance in this game. Uh, really uh, just took over at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he had seven tackles, picked up his first sack as a Dolphin, batted down two passes. Just, uh, just really a dominant performance by him. Between him, Godshaw, Christian Wilkins, I thought the Dolphins' defensive line, in spite of having some injuries, really imposed their will and went, and that went a long way towards stopping and containing the run of the Bengals. Uh, it did look like, uh, Mixon was a step slow, but those guys beat their men at the line of scrimmage and the Dolphins D line definitely won that battle in the trenches. So those guys, Siler, Godshaw, Wilkins, uh, they deserve, uh, definitely, uh, honorable mention there. As far as the other side of the ball, uh, I, you know, I, I, again, I got to heap just tons of praise on Devontae Parker. Uh, his touchdown reception, his, uh, I believe it was his second touchdown reception on a pass that was a little bit behind him on like a post route where the both he and the defensive back got got hands on the ball and he just just out muscled with his hands making that grab. That is not an easy grab. And that's a grab that Devontae Parker just simply would not have made in the first four years of his career. Uh just uh, and again you know, on a 50-50 ball, uh, there were a couple of them in the first half. He he is just playing at another level. He is looking like a number one receiver. Mike Gesicki, with his best game as a pro, with over 80 yards and two touchdowns, he continues to look like he has uh, all the makings of becoming an elite receiving tight end in this league. Uh, it, and, and yeah, you mentioned Miles Gaskin, who had a nice run or two. Uh, it was just, there were some nice standout performances by guys 
that you really want to see it from because they're guys that are supposed to be part of the long-term puzzle here in Miami. So it's just when you see guys like that having big games, it excites you for the future. It certainly does. You know, if I would have told you at the beginning of the season that the Dolphins would have ended up 4-11 and or potentially 5-11, and 4-12, and uh, you would have said, oh, same old Dolphins can't even tank right. But it doesn't feel like same old Dolphins uh, overall. And a lot of the players, <laughs> a lot of the players that we've talked about today are part of the reason why it doesn't feel that way. Uh, let's talk about the bad and the ugly, which I'm going to combine into one thing because ultimately at the end of the day, even though they ended up winning the game, blowing a 23 point lead in the fourth quarter against the worst team in the league is just about as bad as it gets. The last time the Dolphins blew a 23 point fourth quarter lead was the MetLife miracle, the Monday night miracle against the Jets all those years ago. Um, that game, the Dolphins ended up losing this game. The Dolphins ended up coming out on top. Um, but that's pretty ugly any way you look at it. They allowed the Cincinnati Bengals to recover <laughs> recover an onside kick. Two touchdowns in 29 seconds. It's That's pretty bad. You're trying to play it safe at the end, and you still let the Bengals come all the way back. That's pretty disappointing, and I don't know that there's any anything else that you can say other than that. And then finally, you know, looking at it in terms of draft positioning, the Dolphins were set up with a chance to still have a chance at number one, even though it was going to be tough to achieve. Um, but at worst, you know, losing this game would have put them in the second position in the draft. As a result of the way things went, the Dolphins now find themselves drafting fifth. We'll get into more of the details about what they need to do. There is still hope that they could potentially pick second, but it's extremely unlikely at this point. We'll get into that in just a minute. But that's sort of my bad and my ugly in this game. Brain, anything that you want to add to that? I mean, you touched on on all the important stuff. You know, it's never good when you're blowing a big lead like that. But I would say the, the worst thing about it is that they won. <laughs> because had they had they gotten the performances that they wanted or the, the performances that they got and somehow found a way to lose this game and we're sitting looking at the number two pick in the draft, I'd feel a lot better about things than I do right now. Uh, because at the end of the day, you still have to remember that as much as we like Ryan Fitzpatrick, and there's a very good chance that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starting quarterback for this team next season, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on later in this show and probably next week and probably going into the off season. And whenever we do our shows, you know, leading up to the draft and coming out of the draft, there's a very good chance that Ryan Fitzpatrick will be that quarterback, but he's not going to be the quarterback of the future. I feel pretty confident in that. Look, the, he, 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 is it possible that he'll play until he's 41 years old and uh, the Dolphins will build like some great roster around him and he can be like Tom Brady in that he's playing great, efficient football at that age and good enough to, to get to the Super Bowl? It's possible, but it's not very likely. I mean, there aren't very many guys who have played to that age and then just look at Ryan Fitzpatrick's track record. He's a guy that typically hasn't stayed healthy through the course of a regular season. And even this year, in a year where like he he's doing all these great things and you know he's galvanizing the locker room and it, and it's fun to watch. It's not like he's out there and he's one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the league. He's still, you know, bottom third of the league in just about any significant category. Yes, he's fun to watch. And yes, he's a great leader and he's definitely competent at the position, but I don't think he's the guy that's going to, that's going to win us anything. So at some point you got to get the quarterback and the more we win, the harder it is to get that quarterback. And so by winning this game, we haven't done ourselves any favors in that regard. It's, it's, it's nice to win. It feels good to win, but looking at it big picture, it makes things more difficult going forward uh, as far as getting that quarterback that you ultimately need to take this franchise to that next level, the level that they haven't been at since the early 90s, over 25 years ago. Yeah, so still uh, <laughs> a lot of work 
to be done. But you know, as we said, it's we're at a we're at a starting point right now. A starting point. All right, so that's that's the good. Anything else that you want to talk about from this game, Brain? Anything that we haven't mentioned yet? No, I think we covered it. Perfect. Then let's move on to a couple of Twitter questions that we've got. And after those, I think these Twitter questions are going to take us um, where we want to be as far as we'll cover some of the draft stuff based on looking at the questions. So we have a question from Dr. Wiener 80. He says, do you think Tua will still be available to us at number five in the draft? If not, and neither is Burrow, assuming since he picks him up, who are we drafting there? So as it stands right now, looking at the Tankathon rankings, the Dolphins are currently at the five spot. Number one is Cincinnati. Number two is Washington. Number three is Detroit. Number four is the Giants as of now. I would say that it's probably, you know, it's as certain as it can be that Cincinnati is taking Joe Burrow number one overall. Um I think it's highly unlikely that they don't take him. And, but, so I'm feeling pretty confident that Cincinnati is taking Tua. Washington, I think, is probably going to be looking to draft Chase Young. I don't think that they're going to be looking to draft a quarterback with that (laughs) spot, given the way that uh, Dwayne Haskins has played for them this season. So I think they're probably feeling okay enough with Dwayne Haskins that they're not willing to use the second pick in the draft. On Tua Tungavailoa. Detroit picks third. This is the interesting one. This is the one where I think it's a question mark as to whether or not they decide to chase a quarterback here. They do have um, Matt Stafford under contract for another couple years. He's a $31 million cap hit next year for Detroit. Um, he was injured this season. He's 31 years old. There is a possibility. There have been hints and whispers that Detroit is thinking about moving on. And though the owner of the Lions has come out and said that both their GM and head coach Matt Patricia are safe in their job, um, I think if this team finishes the season 13, 12, and 1, that I think all of that is still up in the air. And if there is a big regime change in Detroit, I think there is a world in which the whoever is brought in to run the Lions decides that they're going to start this new era with a new quarterback. So there's a possibility, I think, that the, that Detroit can be drafting Tua. And then the Giants at four, again, I think are a team that's probably standing pat at quarterback with Daniel Jones based on what he has done so far this season. He hasn't been great, but he's, I think, done enough to merit the Giants looking at fixing other issues that that team has with the four spot. So that leaves you with the Dolphins at number five. And I I think if Tua Tagovailoa is available at five, and the Dolphins' doctors have given have have made an assessment that Tua Tagovailoa will be one hundred percent at some point, even if it's not during the twenty twenty season, like even if they say, "Hey, he needs a full year to continue recovering," but by twenty twenty one, he should be good to go. Um, I think the Dolphins have to take him there. Because this is a team that is that quarterback position is a whole, and I think they have to draft Tua at five if he's available. Now, to direct to uh, answer the question, if the Dolphins, if Tua is not available, Joe Burrow not available at five, who are the Dolphins drafting there? That's anybody's guess because there's a lot of a lot of players out there that could be helpful for the Dolphins. I know there's a couple of offensive linemen that they like. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that, Brain? If Tua's, if Tua and Burrow are not available at five, who are the Dolphins taking in that spot? Uh, if neither of those guys are there, I don't think we're taking a quarterback. I don't believe that we should take Justin Herbert there. Um, I would rather go best player available than reach on a quarterback that we're not 100% sold on. That said, if the Dolphins scouting department, uh, their GM, Chris Greer, or whoever, you know, I'm sure it will be Chris Greer as much as I lament that 
I, you know, I would like him to not be the guy making the decisions. I'm, I'm fairly certain that he'll still have his job after this year. Uh, if they look at Justin Herbert and they decide that he's the guy, that he's a franchise quarterback, then you got to take him because it doesn't matter if you take him fifth or 20th or, or wherever those other picks are. You just, you got to get the guy. Now, if you're if you're on the fence about it at all, then then maybe you don't take him at number five and you see if he's there at those later picks, whether it's the Steelers pick or the Texans pick. And then if he's there, maybe you take him there or maybe you like Justin or, or Jordan Love later later in the first round. If he comes out, um, you know, th- those are options as far as if you don't go with a quarterback, I haven't done enough, you know, research into the prospects, the draft prospects. It's not really my strength. I know it's not your strength as, uh, you know, going into, we're not really draft gurus, so to speak. But I would think that at that point, you, you try to see if, if somebody is willing to trade up to get somebody and they're willing to give up a first rounder from next year, then that becomes your ultimate goal. And if not, you take the best player available and, uh, Maybe that's an offensive lineman. Maybe that's a defensive back. Uh, but you take, you take the best player available there that is a guy that you can build around because we've got plenty of needs, uh, on this roster besides the quarterback position. So you don't reach on it if you're not sold on the guy. Uh, but if Tua is the, if Tua is there at number five, I, I, if, if that's where we end up. Um, then I do take two. And then the other thing, uh, you know, that you mentioned, you mentioned Detroit. Well, if Detroit takes Tua, do you then consider a trade for Matthew Stafford? I think it's worth considering. That's a big contract to take on. But then again, the Dolphins have a lot of money to spend. And, that and you're might- not taking it on. I, I believe he's got what, two or three years left? At that yep. price and the, and the caps, the cap number keeps going. I mean, the, the, the salary cap in the NFL keeps going up. So you end up, you know, these quarterbacks are just making ridiculous money. So you're, you're going to pay him like $27 million a year, $28 million a year or whatever it is. And there's going to be quarterbacks that are making like $40 million a year by the end of that contract. So it's not a terrible contract. right now the question is how do you feel about Matthew Stafford I feel like Matthew Stafford is a top 10 to 12 quarterback in the league and certainly somebody that has a lot of football left in him because he's only 31 and that's kind of that's that's kind of just entering the prime in today's NFL uh so I feel like you could get him for for five six years and if if you build a great team around Matt Stafford, because he's never really had a great team around him, he had one year there in Detroit where he had a, a pretty good team around him, and they they came uh, very very close to making it to the NFC title game, or at least to the second round of the playoffs. I don't, I don't remember if they won their first round game that year, uh, the year that they went twelve. I'm I'm pretty sure they had a bye, and then they lost in the second round in a very close game to Dallas. Is is what I think happened, but um. You know, I, I believe that if if Tua isn't there because Detroit takes him, I'd be open to making a trade because maybe you can get Matt Stafford for I don't know, maybe maybe you can get him for a second round pick. Or maybe you can get him for just like the Texans pick or the Steelers pick this year, and then you're you're solving your quarterback situation for the next five, six years with the number 22 pick or the number 25 pick or whatever it is. And then you're using that number five pick and, and you're not losing any of your other draft capital, including all that draft capital that you accrued last year or, you know, this past off season and and early this season with the Tunsil trade. Yeah, it would certainly be a bold move and it would certainly be the move that Chris Greer would be staking his career with the Miami Dolphins on because if they do decide to go that direction and Matt Stafford isn't the guy, there's no coming back from that. You you made a gamble, you know. It, I, 
this actually leads to the next question, which comes from at Dolphins End Zone, who says, you know, you're knocked out of the race from Burrow. Do you invest in a stopgap for next year at quarterback and wait for the 2021 draft? He says Tua is too, too much of a risk for a first round pick. He would use a second. Um, I, I doubt very strongly that Tua would be available in the second round. Um, but it's an interesting question in that, do you invest in a stopgap from next year? And the answer to that question is, we already have a stopgap if yeah. we need it. Yeah. We already have it. If we decide that we're not going to go all in on somebody as the quarterback for this team next year, Ryan Fitzpatrick is your quarterback next season. And I think that's okay. You know, I think I think it is actually more likely than not that even if the Dolphins draft Tua Tungavailoa or Justin Herbert or Jordan Love or any of these other young quarterbacks coming out in the draft, I think it's likely that Ryan Fitzpatrick is still your week one starter for the Miami Dolphins to give whoever that new quarterback is an opportunity to, to learn from Fitzpatrick. The only situation where I think Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't your week one starter for the Dolphins next year is a situation where they go out on a limb and try to make that move for Matt Stafford or, or somebody like that. Um, it's certainly a possibility. It's certainly a possibility. It's an interesting possibility, but again, that's something that I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, as we get into this off season. Once we know where all the chips lie, we can really start to get strategic and, and really sort of break down what moves are possible for the Miami Dolphins and, and what everybody else is thinking about. It'll, it'll be helpful and we'll have a more informed conversation about that. So at any rate, I think, um, I feel like the odds of the Dolphins not making any moves as it pertains to a quarterback, um, this offseason is unlikely. I feel like we're going to do something, even if we use a low first round pick on somebody like, uh, Jordan Love. I think that's likely, um, even if the Dolphins decide not to go after a quarterback with their first pick, I think it's likely that they're going to draft somebody to involve them in that con in, in that conversation. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, um, I just think uh, the other the other possibility is that you know it, it a lot of it that we don't know. I mean, we we feel like we know that this staff is done with Josh Rosen. That we feel like that's the case, but we don't know it. We don't see behind the scenes if Josh Rosen is making strides and they just feel like, hey, like he's making strides, but the locker room belongs to Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so this is Ryan Fitzpatrick's team. And we'll just kind of, you know, bring Josh Rosen along next year and kind of reevaluate things and kind of look at all of our options. And Josh Rosen remains one of the options. Because if we don't end up going with a quarterback that we feel confident is the future, there is always the pot and we don't go out and we either bring in a veteran like a Cam Newton or trade for a Matt Stafford or something like that. Um, and we're keeping Ryan Fitzpatrick here. There's, th there's always the possibility that we just keep things, keep the status quo in that quarterback room that we just go into next year with uh Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen and then maybe we take a late round flyer on a guy that maybe you know is a guy that we're not even really thinking about but somebody that the the Dolphins front office has their eyes on and and kind of falls in love with and then they say look this is Ryan Fitzpatrick's team and this is Ryan Fitzpatrick's locker room and Josh Rosen uh, will come in and he's the backup, but Josh Rosen will have an opportunity to see if he's evolved into uh, the kind of quarterback that can push Ryan Fitzpatrick out of that starting job. And then we bring in another guy and see if this guy is good enough to push Josh Rosen out of the backup job. Maybe we keep three quarterbacks. Maybe we only keep two and this guy uh, beats out Josh Rosen for the backup job. Uh, there are still a lot of things that that are going to need to be settled, and there's there's more options than I think we realize uh, at this point as far as what could happen with this Dolphins quarterback room 
going forward. We know from everything that we heard and saw coming into this season that Brian Flores wants there to be competition at every position. So uh, I I do think, I mean, look, we know that they're going to break camp. They're going to go into camp with more than two quarterbacks, uh, you know, on the roster. Uh, but I would think that given the importance of the quarterback position, that they're going to add somebody into that quarterback room and it's going to be, there's going to be some sort of competition, whether that's for the starting job or whether it's for the backup job. Uh, there's going to be some sort of competition at the quarterback position. Um, because I, and, and, and it's entirely possible that we come in the next year if they don't have Tua there, uh, and, they end up, you know, not with a uh, Justin Herbert, not with a Jordan Love. It's entirely possible that we go in the next season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen battling it out again. And then we just say, well, you know, maybe Josh Rosen involved. Personally, I don't feel very confident in Josh Rosen in that regard. But like you said, we don't really need to get a stopgap guy because we have our stopgap guy. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is under contract at a very reasonable price. He's clearly the leader of this team. And so unless you have a surefire better option available, then Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably your starting quarterback next year. So there you have it. Now, just to talk on the draft subject before we uh, close up shop here, um, the Dolphins currently occupy the fifth spot. The worst that they could do looks to be six. They could fall to the sixth spot in the draft if every if they defeat the Patriots on Sunday and Jacksonville uh, loses their game to Indianapolis. Uh, that would put them both at five and eleven. The uh, Jaguars have a weaker strength of schedule than the Dolphins, so therefore the, the Jaguars would pick in front of the Dolphins. It's also possible that the Chargers in Carolina could finish at 5-11 and as well, but both of them, both of those two teams have stronger uh, strength of schedule than the Dolphins, so it is unlikely that the Dolphins would fall any further than sixth in the unlikely event that they defeat the Patriots <laughs> next week. As glorious as that would be with the idea that it could potentially cost the Patriots a first round buy, but we'll get into that later this week. Um, finally, so here, the Dolphins could still potentially draft as high as second in the draft. They're just going to need a lot of help in order to get there. In order to pick second in the draft, the Dolphins, of course, would have to lose to Foxborough. Detroit would have to defeat Green Bay. It is a home game for the Lions, so that's possible. The Giants are playing at home against the Eagles. They would have to win that game, and then the Redskins would have to defeat the Dallas Cowboys. I, I have to say that those two NFC East games, anything is possible in the NFC East. So you could see whatever happening there. It just seems very unlikely to me that uh, Green Bay is going to lose to Detroit in Detroit on the final week of the season, knowing that Green Bay is in prime position to be playing for uh, a bye and potentially home field advantage in the NFC playoffs. So it's really difficult to see all of what the Dolphins needing to happen to obtain the second pick in the draft happening, but... There we are. Those are the scenarios that the Dolphins need in order to uh, obtain the number two pick in the draft. It's funny. We used to sit around and talk about these are all the things we need to happen so that the Dolphins could get home field in the playoffs or so that the Dolphins could make the playoffs. Now we talk about the things that they need to happen so that they can uh, get a good draft pick. My feeling, though, however, is that this is probably the last time that we're going to be deep in the draft order conversation for a while. Maybe it'll be something that we talk about towards the end of next season. But with with any luck, this Dolphins team is on an upwards trajectory, and we're going to find ourselves at the end of next season talking about how this team can continue to build and hopefully be a legitimate playoff contender the following season. I think that is going to wrap us up, Brain, unless you've got anything else you want to add for the show today. I, I take it we're ignoring Angry Al's Twitter comment for Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna ignore Angry Al from Port St. Lucie for now. We can we could talk about it 
in the offseason. He's the angry Al from Port St. Lucie wants to know why everybody's acting like Chris Greer should be keeping his job. Uh, Brain, you did a rant about this last week or the week before. So I, I feel like we've covered that territory right now. And quite frankly, I think ultimately Greer is getting this offseason. So let's take a look at where this team is at the end of next season. And that's when we can really have a conversation about whether or not Chris Greer uh, needs to be out because he's certainly not on a hot seat yet. And I think he's going to have another full season under his belt before we have that conversation in earnest about whether or not he's doing the job that this team needs him to do. I think it was Chris Perkins wrote a column about that in The Athletic talking about how, listen, this coaching staff has showed what they're capable of. So now it's it's really down to Chris Greer showing that he's got what he needs to be made of to be the GM this team needs to move this team from what we are this season to a legitimate Super Bowl contender, which is the eventual goal of this team. So I, I don't know that we need to get into it too much more than that. So why don't you tell the people where they can find you? The people can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain, and just I'll leave you with this: uh, Dwayne Haskins, the last two games, four touchdowns, no interceptions, coming into his own. If the Dolphins don't get their quarterback this year, and Dwayne Haskins looks like a franchise guy, just remember that the Dolphins passed on Dwayne Haskins to take a defensive tackle. And, uh, you know, Christian Wilkins, I I like the guy. I think we all love Christian Wilkins. But he's not a franchise quarterback. And if Dwayne Haskins is a franchise quarterback, and we don't end up with a franchise quarterback coming out of next year, that's going to be a decision that we look back on that is not dissimilar than our decision to not draft Drew Brees back when he was coming out of college at Purdue. When we took, oh, who was it? Jamar Fletcher that we took instead of Drew Brees. So yeah, I think that's right. I think it was Jamar Fletcher. Uh, you know, let's not let's not forget about that. Make a mental note of it. I know Chris Greer is probably not going to lose his job. Uh, as much as I, I agree with Angry Al on this point, because I don't trust Chris Greer to make the right pick. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, is that going to be Drew Brees 2.0 as far as great Dolphins quarterback or great quarterbacks that could have been Dolphins? Sure. And we've already, of course, also already seen what Lamar Jackson is doing. And the guy that they picked in front of Lamar Jackson is no longer on our team. So there we are. But We'll get into that. We'll have plenty of time to get into that in the offseason. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. Give us a follow. We've uh, The follower list has been growing this season, and we appreciate every one of you that is following along and joining in the conversation on Twitter. If Facebook is more your thing, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins is available to you as well. So we hope to see you over there. And don't forget, every episode of the show is available on Apple Podcasts, so download, rate, review, and subscribe to the show over there. We're also available anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, anywhere that podcasts are available, you can find us there. If for some reason there's a service that you use that we are not available on, let us know. We'll see what we can do to make sure the show is available on that platform. And finally, make sure that you're visiting DolphinsTalk.com each and every day. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. Lots of news and information up there on the site, a bunch of other podcasts as well over there on the Dolphins Talk Podcast Network, which we are proud to be a part of. We will come back to you later this week with a preview of the final Dolphins game of the 2019 season as they head to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. In the meantime, we would like to wish everybody a very happy Hanukkah, a very Merry Christmas, uh, happy holidays to all of you. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you on the other side of Christmas with our Patriots preview you and yeah take care of yourselves and each other and we'll talk to you again next time bye bye everybody go dolphins miami's got the dolphins the greatest football team we take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen we're in the air we're on the ground we're always in control